all of us have had someone in our lives that we loved or that we were close to that has been in pain or been near death, like on their way to death. And, and we have prayed for that person, for God to take away their pain or for healing and for life. Um, and, and it just, it seems like more often than not that, that death still comes and, and pain still continues. We have this strange relationship with, uh, with death um, as, as like humans, we have this strange relationship with death. Like we know, mentally, we know that, that everyone um, that faces death, everybody is gonna die. We know that. Um, we know that there is nothing we can do to stop that. And yet, death always seems to surprise us. And not just surprise us, but, but can even anger us. Like, like, we're, like I could get mad because this person that I love or care about has, has died. Now, I, I know that death comes. I'm still surprised and angered by it. And, and so we, we might do like everything we can do to fight death when we feel that it's coming, right? Like you, you, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, if you don't change this, if you don't do this, then you're going to die. And, and, and we might like walk out of that, that going, okay, I've got to change some things about my, about my life. Um, and sometimes we don't. Uh, sometimes you go in and you get that, that diagnosis and, and everything changes for you. But there are a whole lot of other times where we go in and the doctor says, look, this is where you're headed. And we just go, eh, okay. And we don't do anything to prevent it. We don't do anything to, to change it. Um, and even if we did change our diet, we did exercise, we did whatever we were supposed to do, it really is kind of futile, right? Because the first thing I mentioned is death comes to everyone. Like we're all going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, you're glad you came to church this morning now, right? <laughs> you're completely depressed. Um, like we have faith in in the God who can defeat death, we know, we like, we've read the stories, we've known, we've maybe even seen it happen, but we still fear it, and we still tend to feel defeated by it. We have a strange relationship with death. Today, we're gonna look at the last time that Jesus prays this little phrase, I thank you, Father or God, I thank you. Um, and and the, the last time that he says that we're gonna look at today, it comes in the middle of um, a, a funeral, kind of. But it's an, it's an ancient funeral. And, and so, um, like, the individual's already been dead for several days. Um, and so it's kind of after. It's an interesting thing. But there's, like, we tend to just read it so often we just read the Bible and we read the story and they're, you know, I've been talking about this this year. 
There are interesting things that happen. There are problems. There are talking snakes. And, and it's, but it's in the Bible. So we just read through it and we don't really pay attention. We don't really, like, we get like, oh, okay. Any other story, we would go, wait a minute, that's ridiculous. Snakes don't talk, whatever. Um, but in the Bible, we tend to just read through it. And I think that's what's happened in this story that we're gonna look at today. But there's a whole lot more going on than, than just what we read on the page. So let's look at um, John chapter 11, beginning in verse one. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, if you just read that, like, you're like okay, he must be talking about something that happened before, because he's reminding us that it's the Mary who wiped, but that actually hasn't happened until chapter 12. It's in chapter 12 that Mary anoints Jesus and wipes his feet with her. So it's an interesting um, thing that, that John does there. Uh, so these sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's another really interesting thing because this is in the gospel of John and John refers to himself as, um, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and now he's kind of given that, that title to another person, this guy, Lazarus. Um, who, by the way, is not the star of the story of Lazarus, which is, again, interesting. Uh, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he, he said, this illness does not lead to death, lie, because he dies, right? So that now we have to go, uh, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you talking about? Uh, this illness does not lead to death. Uh, instead, this illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it, and then we gotta go, oh my goodness, God lets people die so that there can be glory for the Son and the Father in, in that? God just, like that, oh my goodness, what are we doing? Uh, verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We get that term again. And then number six, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved them. He just didn't do what they asked him to do. So what, what do we know about Lazarus from the story of, of Lazarus? We're going to look at more of it, but let me just tell you, um, we don't know much about this guy named Lazarus. This guy whom Jesus apparently loved a, along with Mary and, and Martha. In fact, um, we, we know Lazarus from this story ab about Lazarus. And he really is mentioned maybe one other place at the beginning of chapter 12 where uh, Jesus is at a dinner party um, and, and John just says at this dinner party was Lazarus, the guy who Jesus raised from the dead. And so really that's about the only time Lazarus is mentioned outside of this story. We don't know much uh, uh, about him. In fact, in, in a male-dominated society like Israel at this point in time, we know lots more about Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, than we do about Lazarus. In fact, in the story of Lazarus that we're reading, Lazarus is a secondary character. The story is really about Martha, Martha and, and Mary, which again, is just interesting. 
And so we learn here in the opening of chapter 11 that Jesus has history with Martha and Mary and Lazarus with this, with this family, that he loves them. So he doesn't just have a, like a cursory relationship with them. He has a longstanding relationship with them and he has grown to love them and to care about them and to want the best for them. Um, we also learned something really interesting in these first six verses. We learned that love doesn't always give. It doesn't always give into demands. That love doesn't always rush to aid. Love doesn't always side with, agree with, or give in to the demands and the requests of, of others. And in our world today, sometimes we can use love like a, a weapon, right? And, and we can say, you don't love me if you don't, and then fill in the blank. But it really doesn't matter what you, you say there. What, what we're really saying is, you don't love me unless you do everything that I want you to do. And that's kind of how we view love, or at least a lot of people view love in our society. If you loved me, you wouldn't tell me what to do. If you loved me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't keep me from doing the things that I, that I want to do, the things I feel I need to do. If you loved me, you'd support me. If you loved me, you'd, you'd just be okay with everything that I want to do, no matter what it is, because that's how I feel, that's what I, I, I want. And yet Jesus in this story, we're told, he loves this family, we're told twice in the first six verses, he loves them, he loves Lazarus, he loves Mary and, and Martha, Jesus was able to love this family and disappoint them. He was able to love them and not do what they wanted him to do. And, and guess what? Martha and Mary feel absolutely betrayed by Jesus. And when we see that play out in the verses, we're not gonna look at all of them, but, but you can see that when you read the, the story. In fact, um, Mary uh, won't even go out to talk to Jesus. She's so angry with him when he shows up um, to town. They see the actions of Jesus as an act of betrayal, and yet Jesus' love for them never changes through, through the whole story and even, and even beyond because his relationship with them continues. It's interesting trusting the story that God is writing for us is hard sometimes, isn't it? Because we don't want to go through the things that we're having to go through. Like we don't always like where God is taking us and the things that we have to experience. And, and sometimes the things that we go through, we can even begin to wonder if God really loves us at all. Like, God, you're not doing what I think you ought to, you're not writing this story the way I would write it for myself. And so do you even really love me at all? And, and that's part of what we learn in the story of Lazarus, that whatever happens, whatever happens in our lives, God hears us even when he doesn't honor our requests. God hears us even when he doesn't honor our request. And it, that doesn't mean that God doesn't still love us. If you're looking for something about love to, to take away this morning, rem remember that, that just because God doesn't honor your request to him doesn't mean that he doesn't still absolutely love you. 
In fact, it, it just means that he doesn't agree with what you want to happen. God's looking at your story from a, from a different perspective and he's going, look, if I allow this thing to happen that you want to happen, there are all these other repercussions and all these other things that are gonna happen and it's gonna end up not being good for you and so I'm gonna spare you from that even if it makes you angry. And look, as parents and friends, we can learn something from that. That, that love doesn't always just give in. Sometimes love means doing the hard thing because it's best for the person that you love, even if they don't recognize it. And so we have this interesting relationship with God where we're asking him to do things and, and he's saying no for, what, for whatever reason, the reasons that he knows, he's saying no, and then we have to just remind ourselves that just because God's not honoring our request doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. It just means that what he's doing, the story that he's writing for us um, is better than the story we would write for ourselves. And it's best for us and for others and for his kingdom. And so he's looking out after all of those things at the same time. And so we have to find a way to receive God's love for us even when we don't receive what we want from him. We have to receive God's love for us even when we don't get what we want. And, and the disciples were struggling with this um, very thing. Let's look at the next few verses. In fact, we're gonna look at um, seven and eight and we're just gonna skip down and look at uh, 14 to 16. Here's what it says. After Jesus has said this to the disciples, um, uh, or then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there uh, again. And then Jesus in verse 14 told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Again, we're like, oh my goodness, how could Jesus say that? Uh, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So it's not about Lazarus. It's not about Mary and Martha, but you disciples who are following me, you need to believe. But now that he's dead, let's go to him. And so this guy uh, named Thomas called the twins said to the rest of the disciples, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. Um, and it's a really interesting statement for for Thomas, you got to see these two things. The reason I took those verses out and kind of mashed them together is because there are some important things going on that really only make sense if you know the end of the story. Like if you've read John chapters 19 and 20, and then you come back to this story in chapter 11, then it begins to make a, a little more sense. Like if you know that Jesus is going to die, that he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to live again, then you can come back to, to John chapter 11. You go, oh, okay, this, this makes a little more sense about what's going on in the story. So um, the, by this point in, in Jesus' ministry, like um, chapter 11 and, and 12 are the turning points in the gospel of John. So um, from John 1 through John 11, what we get is this series of signs, John calls them, signs, um, and, and, and John even later is, is gonna say that he's written the, the gospel of John and, the, and he's included the miracles that Jesus did so that we who read it might believe. So that's, 
He's writing for that purpose. He's writing so that when we get done with the book, we'll go, this guy's gotta be Jesus. He's gotta be the Messiah. So um, chapters one through 11 are just this, he's kind of counting up all of these signs that Jesus has, has done. And Lazarus, um, raising Lazarus from the dead is the last sign that Jesus does because in chapter 12, um, we begin this countdown to Jesus' death. So uh, John 1 to 11 is about the first three plus years of Jesus' ministry. And then John chapter 12 through the end of the, of the book is really about the last week of Jesus' life. So we've counted up all of these miracles and now we're counting down to the death of, of Jesus. And so um, by this point in the story, Jesus has made a lot of enemies in Judea, that's the um, region, because Jerusalem and the temple of God are, are there in Judea. And, and Jesus has made a lot of enemies there um, and in the temple and the religious leaders by this point in his ministry. So when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, to his disciples, they saw that as a death sentence, not just for Jesus, but for them as well. So, so Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. And, and, and they're like, that, that's why it says, wait a minute, Jesus. They were just trying to stone you there. They, they want you dead. They want you to die. And, and you wanna go back there? Like that's crazy. And then by the end of that story, verses 14 to 16, Thomas is like, well, I, if, you are, if you are set on going down there and dying, let's, let's go die with him. Like, here we go. That's a really weird, really weird thing. Um, and, and so th th there's this moment where Jesus says, we're going back to Judea. I know that it's gonna end in my death. I can know they're gonna try and kill me. And the disciples kind of come to this point where they go, well, I guess, I guess we're gonna die with him. And, and, and Thomas actually, I, I, think, I don't think he's scared. I think, I think he's saying this, um, I think he's like ready. He's like, this is the locker room before the football team runs out on the field to play. Um, that like he's excited, let's go. Like we're gonna go um, do that. But, but we realize this really interesting thing about the story that life for Lazarus means death for Jesus. For Jesus to bring life to Lazarus, he had to be willing to face death himself. And so look at it from just the perspective of um, just Jesus as a, as a man. Mary and, and Martha, all they could see was what they wanted. Our brother Lazarus, the guy that you said you loved, he is dying and you need to come. Jesus is going, if I go to save Lazarus, I go to my death. If I come to save Lazarus, I'm giving up myself. And I realized I was working on this, that that is often the same for us. It is the same story for us. We ask God to act based on um, what we want or how we feel or the things that we can see with our eyes in our situation, not based on what he can see about our situation or our future, or what's best for him and his kingdom. We go, God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. And when God doesn't do that, then we get angry with him. God, I want you to bring my brother, my, my, my mother, my husband, I want you to bring them back to life. 
And, and God says, like, no, that's, that's not the best thing in this situation. And then, and then we're, we're angry like Martha and Mary. And, and what that really, like, like we're pretty selfish people. Because oftentimes in our prayers, we're like, God, I don't care what you want. Well, this is what I want. This is what I need. I need you to, to come and do this. And God is going, look, I love you and my heart is breaking for you. And I love you and I love you and I love you, but this is not the best for you. This is not the best for the person that you love right now. And so I can't do what you want me to. It, it's, this is why kind of Martha says the things she says next, verses 21 and 22. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, like this is, so, so Jesus goes to, to Bethany, he goes to Judea, and Martha comes out to meet him. And the first thing that she says, it's kind of shocking, the first thing she says is, Lord, it's your fault. I mean, we put it in today's language, that's what she would have said, it's your fault. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, it's your fault. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he, he's gonna give you. I, I know you're gonna ask God and he can give you whatever, but it's your fault still. And so Martha blames Jesus for letting her brother die. And then she's like, well, I still believe that in, in you. I'm, I still believe that you're the Messiah, the promised King, but I'm angry with you. And, and, and once again, I'm like, man, you, you and I have been in that situation probably more than once. I believe in you, God, I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm angry with you because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And so, and so Jesus' reply, his reply to Martha is, is like, like, there's no question. He says, your brother will rise again. There's a plain as day. Your brother will rise again. And then Martha, Martha goes, well, yeah, I know he will in the end with the rest of us. Like, I know that there's gonna be a resurrection that end in the final days and everything's gonna be okay. And I know that's coming. But there's two things going on here. Um, Martha still believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah, but she also believes that Lazarus' story is over. He, he's dead. In fact, by this time, he's been dead four days. He's actually been in the tomb for four days. He's dead. She knows he's dead because on day three in Jewish tradition, you go back to the tomb and you roll the stone away and you shout the name of the person in the tomb, Lazarus, Lazarus. And if Lazarus doesn't respond, the death certificate is signed and you roll the stone back in front of the tomb and it's over. Did you, I just learned that this week. I didn't, I didn't know that before. So someone dies, they take them out to the tomb. It's this big procession. There's seven days where your family and friends in the town, they, they, um, the, the word is uh, shiva, they, they sit in shiva, they, they celebrate, they cry, they mourn together. That happens seven days at the tomb, it's where everybody gathers. But on day three, they roll the stone back, they shout the name two times. If no reply, they roll the stone back in front. So Martha says, look, we were here yesterday <laughs> and we rolled the stone, we shouted his name, he didn't, he's dead, his story is over. And so, I believe, Jesus, that you're the promised Messiah, but I don't believe that you now have the ability or the willingness to save Lazarus. She hasn't given up on Jesus. 
She's just given up on this situation. And once again, I'm like, don't we do this? Don't we get to a point in our lives, we are in different situations and we go, God, if you don't do this thing that I want you to do by this date and this time, it's over and I'm gonna move on to something else. God didn't answer my prayer again. I don't have rent money today. I don't have, like God didn't bring me this. God didn't give me that. And so we just move on. And, and we, just, we kind of give up on it. You didn't do what I wanted you to do when I wanted you to do it, and so it's done, and we move on to the next. We still believe. We still believe. We just don't believe for this particular case. I still believe you are the son of God. I'm just not relying on you in this situation. And that's tough because I feel like Jesus in this situation, he's kind of like, look, if you don't believe that I will or I can, do you really believe at all? And that's hard for me. If I don't really believe that Jesus can or that he will, do I actually believe in him at all? I'll let that sit with you. But I, but I wanna point out this one other thing because Jesus next statement to her. If you look at the, if you look at the text, she, she says, um, uh, even now I know that God will give you whatever, whatever you ask. And then when he talks about your brother will live again, and she's like, yeah, I know in the resurrection, the end. And then Jesus' response to that is this. He says, you don't have to wait. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. There's no waiting for resurrection. I, I, have that, um, I have that in me. Okay, verse 38. Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So they, they moved from the outskirts of town to the tomb of, of Lazarus. They're standing outside the tomb. It was a cave and a stone had been rolled against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for we, he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And there are a whole bunch of similarities between this story and Lazarus' tomb and what we read later about Jesus' tomb. It's really kind of cool. Both of these, like there were multiple different ways that they buried people depending on their situation. Mary and Martha must have been um, more wealthy people because Lazarus is buried like Jesus in a cave with a large stone. So they would have been able to afford a family tomb. In, in both the Lazarus story and the Jesus story, there are conversations taking place outside of this tomb about the stone in Lazarus' case, roll the stone away. In Jesus' case, they're saying, who is gonna roll the stone away? And they're both talking about the dead man inside. Lazarus, there's an odor. And, and with Jesus, the women were coming to anoint his body to keep the odor from, from happening as long as possible. Um, and, and so, uh, again, same thing. Um, Lazarus is uh, covered in the grave clothes. Uh, Mary and Martha are coming to anoint his body with more of the spice-covered linen. Um, in both places, the people see the glory of God. Um, in Jesus, they see the angels. It says the glory of God. And then and Jesus shows up to one of them. Um, here, Lazarus is raised. They see the glory of God. God there. But look at Jesus' prayer, because that's really what I want to get to today. 
Um, verse 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, um, Father, I want you to bring Lazarus up from the dead. No, that's not what he says at all. He gives this really weird prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Did we read anything about a prayer between Jesus to God about Lazarus in, in the story? There's none there. There's nothing in there. But so what did God, what did God hear? Um, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, I prayed a prayer before and you heard me, but nobody knows what it is. Um, I knew that you always hear me, but I'm saying this not for my own benefit or for your benefit or for Lazarus' benefit, but on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound in linda strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and, and, and let him go. Uh, really interesting side note here. There is not a place in scripture, I, I don't believe, where Lazarus actually says a single word. We, we know nothing about this guy, Lazarus. He never talks in, in all of the biblical stories. He never says a word. But I, but I gotta go, does Jesus' prayer make any sense? If you are standing outside of a tomb and there's a dead man inside for four days and you're gonna pray to God, and, and your goal is that the dead man walk out. Is this the prayer that you pray? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, like if I'm there, I'm going, okay, God, I know you, you have no reason to listen to me. There's all these people around and I'm scared to death and I feel like you're not gonna listen to me, but I really want this guy to come out. And so please, God, just don't, like, just pretend like it's not me. Pretend there's some super spiritual person and he's praying for you and this will be really good for your kingdom, God, to bring this dead guy back to life. It'd be great. That's my prayer uh, before, the, before the tomb. And that this prayer of Jesus makes absolutely no sense. And I'm guessing, I, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that since this prayer of Jesus, remember I told you a week or two ago, I said, if we would have had recorded the prayer that Jesus prayed to turn the five loaves of fish and a few pieces of bread into a meal to feed 5,000 people, we'd all be saying that. We'd be saying it right now for lunch. Like if we knew the prayer, we'd be saying it. We know the prayer here, and I'm gonna guess that nobody has ever stood outside of a casket or a tomb and prayed this prayer, expecting the dead person to come back to life. Because it makes no sense, unless one of two things. Unless Lazarus is already alive, and he's just waiting for the stone to be rolled away and Jesus to call his name. Because if Lazarus is alive, and, and we read this, Jesus says, um, Father, I thank you that you heard me because I already prayed for you to bring Lazarus back from, from the dead. But here's something really interesting. Did Jesus say God is the resurrection and the life to Mary or to Martha? Or did he say, I am the resurrection and the life? Because I'm pretty sure he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the question is, did Jesus need to ask his father for anything in that moment? Because I don't think he did. 
I think Jesus in his own power raised Lazarus from death and he prayed this prayer because he wanted the people around to to believe. And, And I think it leads us to number two. Jesus wanted his followers to remember this moment. And so he prays this really odd prayer that they will never forget. Um, I want you to think about something because there's this really interesting thing that happens in John chapter um, 14 and uh, 15 and 16. Um, So Jesus prays this prayer, the tomb of Lazarus. God, I thank you that you heard me. This past tense, you heard me. I know that you always hear me but I'm praying for all of these people that they might believe. And in John chapter 14, verse 13, we read this. Whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, that's him. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, now I think it gets better. John 15, 16 says this. Um, Jesus says, disciples again, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that would abide or would last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then we go to John chapter 16, 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And I gotta, I gotta go, like this thing, these are connected somehow. And I gotta think that when the disciples heard Jesus say these things in 14, 15, and, and 16, when they came out, when Jesus spoke them to him, I gotta believe that the disciples immediately remembered standing outside the tomb of Lazarus and listening to Jesus say, I thank you, Father, for hearing me. You always hear me. And then Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you pray in my name, God hears you and he will give you the things that you ask, like bringing this dead man back from the tomb. I think these things are all connected. And and so we, we look, Martha and Mary, they actually receive the thing that they had prayed for just not in the time or in the manner that they expected. And while they were angry with Jesus for not saving their brother from death, like he had to to die, I just don't think that when they took the grave clothes off of him and they ran to him, I don't think they were complaining about Jesus having brought him back from the death. I don't think they ran up and hugged him and and looked over at Jesus and said, I sure wish you had been here a week ago. I think they were just excited to have their brother back. And, and by the way, Lazarus is dead, right? He, he, didn't, he did die again. He's not walking around somewhere. He's not hanging out with Elvis. He is dead. So while, while Jesus brought him back from the dead, he did eventually die and he didn't come back after that. But like Martha said, he will one day when Jesus is revealed. 
When we get what we want from God, we rarely complain. But when we don't get what we want from God, we really complain. And we don't like it. Lazarus' sisters wanted him healed before the pain and the heartbreak and the tears of his death. But we need to go through difficult things so that we'll learn how to grow through difficult things. And if God rescued us from every difficult thing before it got difficult, there's two things that would happen. I think one, everybody would follow God, not because they believe that Jesus is the king and our savior, but because they didn't want anything bad to happen to him. The other thing that I, hap I think happens is we don't grow those muscles that allow us to trust and have faith in difficult times. We need to go through the difficult things so we learn how to grow through the difficult things. And when we face those difficult times in our lives, we have to remember that the power of thanksgiving is in knowing God hears our prayers even when he doesn't honor our request. That he hears us even when he doesn't do what we want. And so I need to learn to offer thanksgiving humbly knowing that God doesn't owe me anything. And I need to learn to offer thanksgiving for the important things like Kevin talked about, like my salvation, and not the inferior things that I sometimes tend to thank God for, like lots of people in church or, or whatever. That doesn't matter as much to God. And I need to learn to offer thanksgiving that the God of the universe hears my voice and responds to me even when he doesn't agree with me. And so this is how we enter into thanksgiving, humbly and for the right things and expectantly, knowing God hears us even when he doesn't honor our request. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for hearing us and for accepting us even when we um, even when we're kind of big babies and we just want what we want. And so um, just thank you for always hearing us. We know that you always hear us. You have always heard us every time we have prayed to you. Every time we have called on your name, you have heard us. And we thank you, God, as difficult as it is for not always answering our prayer. Because too often the thing we want will lead to the thing we don't want. And so would you always just guide and direct us? Would you always do what you know is best, even when we don't feel like it's best? And help us just to trust you and to follow you and to continue to do that humbly, letting you be God and, and helping us to just follow and trust the story that you're writing. In Jesus' name, amen.